Father, we long to hear your voice amidst all of the other noises and things in our life, Father, all of the other messages that we hear, the constant inundation in our lives, Father, we pray that we would recognize your still small voice, that it would lead us to a closer walk with Jesus this morning. Father, we pray that we'd walk out of here changed by the power of seeing Jesus lifted up. We pray that you would be lifted up. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Carl Lutz had a burning passion. Here's a picture of Carl. I believe at least we'll have it up here on the screen in just a second. Carl Lutz had a burning passion to save lives. He didn't start out this way. He started off, he was born in Switzerland. He ended up immigrating to the United States and later became a... Uh, he became a dignitary, he became an ambassador for, for Switzerland, a diplomat, and eventually he was stationed in, wow, that, there he is, there he is right there, alright, that's Carl Lutz, alright, so he was stationed later in uh, Budapest, Hungary, and in Budapest he was uh, at first uh, just stationed to be a part of the countries that had not signed over to, this was in World War II, who had not signed on with the, the enemy, the, with, with Germany. Uh, but Budapest, Hungary was going over to Hitler's side of, of things, and he began to do everything in his power to save Jews in Budapest. Now, there were a lot of Jews in Budapest, but as time went on, he began to grant letters to them. And he would grant them saying that this, this individual is under Swiss authority. And so they have, uh, they have uh, the ability to leave the country. At first, this was easier. And he saved something like 12,000 people were able to leave the country under his letters that were given. Later, there was uh, a power that came in that was a little bit harsher. And it was more difficult but he was granted the opportunity to have 8,000 letters written to give people the opportunity to leave the country. And as he began writing the letters, he took this to mean 8,000, not people, individuals, but families. And he began to write for whole families to be able to escape the country. And pretty soon he got to the place where there was a death march where 70,000 Jews were being marched out of Budapest. They were being marched to different death camps throughout Germany. And as they were being marched out, he followed in his car with his wife this death march, and they would drive alongside the people, looking at the people, trying to let the people know that there was still hope. When they would stop, they would go, and they would grant as many letters as they could, doing everything possible to save as many as possible. By the end, they say that he's credited with saving probably upwards of 60,000 Jews. And he made war against the Nazis, not with use of force, but by using pieces of paper, writing letters, using his diplomacy, his diplomacy in order to be able to save lives. Today, I believe that God has placed it in your power and my power to be diplomats for heaven, to be able to have an opportunity to see lives saved that wouldn't be saved otherwise. And we're going to talk about that this morning as we continue in the story of Abraham. And in the story of Abraham, we're, we're specifically looking at what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah, and we're looking at what happens with Lot. And last week, we saw that Abraham expressed overwhelming hospitality and generosity to complete strangers who are wandering past his camp. They're, they're coming past, and, and he chases after them, and he gives them an extra extravagant feast of the best that he had to offer even though they're strangers he doesn't know who they are and come to find out he was entertaining angels and God himself unaware as Hebrews later tells us and then we saw the contrasting part of that when these two strangers who were angels go to Sodom and in Sodom the Sodomites come out and they try to uh, forcefully take these two individuals who had been, who were foreigners, who weren't a part of the town, who were taken into the, the shelter of Lot's home, and they try to forcefully take them and, and rape them. And Lot does, 
everything possible to try to save them, including the terrible idea of trying to give them his own daughters in place of the two guys. Terrible idea. Don't want to follow Lot's example in most anything that he does. But today, as we, we look a little bit further in the story about Abraham and Lot, I wanted to start here in Luke chapter 17, verse 28. It says, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, Jesus talking about what's going to take place in the end. He says, look at the days of Lot. Notice what happened in the days of Lot. And then he concludes with this. He says, even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So there's something critical, something crucial for you and I to understand about the story of Lot in order for us to be prepared for when Jesus comes back. Is the story of Lot important? It's super important for us to understand, especially in the times that we're living in. So let's look at it again. Genesis chapter 18, this is just after the men have had their feast at Abraham's uh, tent. And verse 16 says, Then the men rose from where they are, from, from there, and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. His hospitality continues by what they would do is they would walk somebody as far as possible. And the further you walked with somebody, the more that you knew that that person was an important guest. And he walks with them quite a ways. And He's going to send them on their way. And then in verse 17, it continues and it says, And the Lord said, Will I hide from Abraham what I am doing? I love this. He said, Should I hide from Abraham? Should I, should I not reveal who I am and what I'm up to? Should I not reveal the plans that I have for the future? Because James goes on to say that Abraham was a friend of God. And friends don't keep secrets from friends. At least that's what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He says, I have called you friends for all things that have been made known to me. I have made known to you. I don't hold secrets. I don't have things that I'm holding back from you. God wants to call us friends and he wants to reveal to us what's going to take place. And he wants to do this for Abraham. Verse 18 continues and it says, Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. Since I have made these promises to Abraham, and it it hasn't been fully realized yet. Abraham doesn't even have the child of promise yet. And he hasn't inherited any land yet. He's still living in a tent. But because he's going to be uh, the progenitor of this mighty nation, because these great and mighty nation will come from him, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him, I'm going to reveal what I'm about to do. And I love that last line, all the earth will be blessed in him. This is not just talking about the blessings that, that come through uh, the, the protection of God's word and his law and revealing that to the world, but this actually points to the fact that Jesus would be born as a descendant of Abraham through Isaac. This reveals that, that the Savior would come through Jesus. And, and in light of that, in light of the fact that salvation would come through Abraham, God says, I have to let him know. I have to, to bring him into this about what's about to take place. Verse 19 continues and says this, For I have known him, uh, that's the Hebrew word yadah, but it's, it can also be in the form of choose. He's, I have chosen him, I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. We don't have time to dwell here long, but Abraham was a man who had a household of about a thousand people, and he was constantly building altars and making places for them to come and worship. He had an emphasis in his family on worship. And if you do one thing, parents, make sure you have worship with your kids. Make sure that our families are coming together to worship Jesus on a day-to-day basis, morning, evening, spending time to look to Jesus because that is the most valuable thing that you can do. He will command his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord. He's going to be one who leads people to treat others righteously, treat others with selfless love. Verse 20 continues, And the Lord said, Because the outcry, what's the next word? The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Now, I love how this translates, and this is the New King James Version, how it translates it like that. Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. It's saying there is 
a cry that's coming up to me. I'm, I'm hearing a cry that's coming up to me, and it's against what is taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. There are people who are saying, God, why are you letting this happen? God, the Sodom and Gomorrah, they're, they're mistreating people. When strangers wander up to Sodom, they are totally mistreated. God, you've got to stop this violence. God, you've got to stop all that is going on in Sodom. God, why are you allowing this to happen? And he said, I've heard this cry. It's come up to me. And I've heard people saying, God, why is this going on? And so I'm going down there. And I'm going to see for myself what's taking place. Verse 21 says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. We were reminded of this last week that he's the God who sees, he told. Hagar named him that. And Ishmael was the name that was given to the son that was born through Hagar, that he's the God who hears. And this morning, just remember that, that he's the God who sees you and what you're going through, the pain that you feel, the heartache you may feel, the loneliness you may feel, the joy you may feel, the smiles that you've had over the holidays. He sees it all. He hears it all. And his heart is touched by the emotion in your heart this morning. I'm going down there. He wants us to understand that he comes close to us. And I'm going to find out if this is really what's taking place, if it's really this bad. And he wants us to understand that God doesn't just arbitrarily make decrees. God doesn't just decide things without drawing close to people. Verse 22, then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. So the two angels, they go on towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. I love this. But Abraham stood before the Lord, but Abraham wasn't leaving, and and the Lord wasn't leaving. And and this is where it's revealed for sure that that this third person, the the one that was with the two angels, is is not just any stranger that that Abraham had fed his his fattened calf in the the fine baked meal. Uh, This is Yahweh Himself. And Abraham stands before him. Abraham's got something on his heart. Do you have something on your heart this morning that you'd like to tell God? Do you have things that you long for God to hear that you're longing to talk to God about this morning? Abraham had something on his heart, verse 23, and Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Abraham's main concern is what's going to take place in Sodom? Now, if you think about it, Abraham, from the very beginning, has not had the best of experiences when it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, his nephew, had looked around and he saw this beautiful valley and he said, Ah, I'm going to go there. Abraham, you go somewhere else because that's the place that's profitable. That's the place that's beautiful. That's the place that I want to live in those nice cities. So Abraham had been forced to live in a tent, had been forced to live away from the cities at while Lot lived the good life in the city with this beautiful uh, area that was like the Garden of Eden, it says earlier in Genesis. And then later on, Lot is taken captive and all of Sodom and Gomorrah taken captive. And Abraham selflessly pursues and he goes and he rescues them from the Canaanite kings that, or the Bab- king from Babylon that had come and taken them captive. And he rescues them. And then you imagine the witness to them as he had willingly given them all the spoil back. He had saved the Sodomites' lives from becoming slaves. But all this time, he's watching as the things of violence is taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the, the unrighteous acts are taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. People are being mistreated there. And it had to have bothered him. And yet, when he finds out that destruction is finally coming, that they're finally going to get what they deserve, his first thought is, God, could you save some people there? And I just have to ask myself this morning, is that my thought when I look at the world today and I see things spiraling out of control? Is is what I want for God to bring judgment, for God to, to do whatever it takes to set things right, to, to, to destroy this planet and to create a new planet? Or am I concerned about the salvation, even of those who might be living lives like the Sodomites were living? 
And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were there? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. Do you see the ground, the foundation of the prayer that Abraham is praying? He says, this is really far from, from anything that you would ever do, God. I know that this is not who you are. You would not slay the righteous with the wicked. This is not the thing that the just God that you are would do. So that the righteous should be as the wicked, for far be it from you. He repeats it again. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? If you want power in your prayer, If you want power when you're asking God for things, the foundation, the ground has to be in the goodness of who God is. God, I know that you are good. I know that you will do what is right. I know that you will bring justice. And that's why I'm coming to you, God. So often my prayers are, God, I'm not sure that you're going to do what's right here. So I'm going to tell you what would be the best plan here. I I try to fill God in. I try to let God know that this is the way that life should go. That if he were a good God, this is what would happen. But God is good. He is just. He is faithful. And when we approach him in prayer, it's not to try to twist his arm. Shall not the God of all the earth do what is just? And God responds. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city... Then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Not just the 50 righteous, but I'll spare everyone if there are just 50 righteous in the city. So Abraham goes on. Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now, who am I but dust and ashes? Indeed, now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. So we'll notice Abraham's prayer It's based on God's justice, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and Abraham's nothingness. I'm dust, I'm ashes, who am I to ask God for anything? Abraham doesn't bring up his past obedience, he doesn't bring up the sacrifices that he's made, he doesn't bring up the fact that he left his family in Babylon, all he brings to God is his need and God's goodness. I'm just dust and ashes, Lord. Suppose that there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? And again, so God said, if I find that there are 45, I will not destroy it. And Abraham keeps on going. If you've read the story before, he goes on from there to 40. Then he goes to 30. Then he goes to 20. And finally, he he says, this is the last time I'm going to ask God, what about if there's just 10 righteous people? Will you spare the whole city for 10? And God says, yep, I'll do it. And then God goes on to Sodom. Patriarchs and Prophets, I encourage you to pick up this book. If you want a good commentary on the book of Genesis, actually on the the first five books of the Bible, Patriarchs and Prophets is a a powerful commentary on those books and also a little bit further until Samuel. This is what it says, page 139. It says, there was no self-confidence, no boasting of his, that's Abraham's own righteousness, He did not claim favor on the ground of his obedience or the sacrifices he had made in doing God's will. Himself a sinner, he pleaded in the sinner's behalf. Can you do that this morning? Can you pray for people this morning using this same formula? You don't have to obey. You don't have to sacrifice something. What you need to bring to God is the fact that you are a sinner and that's how you can come and pray to God. Is that good news this morning? Such a spirit all who approach God should possess. Yet Abraham manifested the confidence of a child pleading with a loved father. He came close to the heavenly messenger and fervently urged his petition. We skipped over that part. It says, and Abraham, after he stood before the Lord, it says he drew near before he made his request. He pressed in close to God before he went to make his request. And you and I, The more that we see God as a loving father, the more that we recognize his loving care in our lives, the more confident we can, confidence we can have in our prayers and our requests to him as we realize that he is longing to give us good gifts in our lives. So 
Abraham makes these requests and God says, sure, that's what I'll do. The two angels, meanwhile, have gone on. They've gone to Sodom and we learned the story last week about how Lot is sitting watching because he knows that people are mistreated in Sodom. He begs them to come to his house. They get to his house. Once they're at his house, uh, he fixes them a feast and pretty soon it says everybody, all the men in the entire city come out to ask to, to, to rape these two men. And they're there trying to pound down the door. The men actually, at that point, step in to blind them and to keep them. And they're still groping for the door even after they've been miraculously blinded. This is a story that uh, Ezekiel later says was the result of their, their pride, their fullness of bread, and their idleness. That was the root cause in their life. And then it says, and... They did not watch out for the poor and needy. That's what Ezekiel 16, 49 tells us. This was the sin of Sodom. Picking up the story, uh, well, actually, before we do that, we'll see here that Abraham's prayer really was just like the prayer that Jesus prayed. It was in the spirit of Jesus that he prayed. Uh, Jesus on the cross, as he's being nailed to the cross, as he's being spit upon, he's been beaten, he's been falsely accused. In Luke 23, 34, he says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies, to pray for those who spitefully use us, who persecute us. And this is what we see in Abraham. He's praying, he's pleading, he's once fought for Lot and his all of Sodom. And this time he's fighting not with a sword, but he's fighting with his prayers. Picking up the story again, Genesis 19 and verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, this is after they've rescued Lot now from the crowd, miraculously. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Do you have a son-in-law? Do you have sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place. Do you see how big this invitation is? It says, whoever you can get to come out of the city. Start with your family, then go and find anybody possible and bring them out of the city. They're looking to save as many as possible from what is about to take place in Sodom. Take them out of this place. Friends, judgment is good news. Judgment is about a God of love who wants to rescue everyone possible, everyone who is willing to be saved. Verse 13, For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. We've come on this mission because, look, people are being mistreated. Violence is taking place here. This is horrendous, and it's got to stop. We've got to put an end to it. Verse 14, So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of the place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. I was curious exactly why it was that they thought he was joking. But my only guess would be that Lot had set up camp in Sodom. First, it says that he pitched his tent near Sodom. Now we find him sitting in the gate. He's living in Sodom. He's fully embraced the life of Sodom. And all of a sudden, he shows up at their doorstep saying, Ah, this place is going to be destroyed. we got to get out of here. And they're like, what? This is some joke. You've settled in here. Your daughters are marrying us. You don't believe this place is a bad place. What are you talking about? Obviously, he had set himself up as a judge there. He had tried to, to try to get people to stop living the way that they were. But he hadn't made it clear how dangerous the lives that they were living really were. And I don't think he really grasped the seriousness of the way that they were living as we continue. Verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, what's the first word they say? Arise. They they say, get up. So Lot went and he told his sons-in-law, they think that he's joking, and he goes to sleep. He goes back to his bed. He's back in bed. And early morning comes, and the angels come to him really early. They wake him up. They say, get up. Take your wife. Your two daughters who are here, as opposed to the, the son-in-laws who are married, there's, there's family outside the home, and then there's the, the two daughters who have not yet been given to a man. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. Verse 16, and while he lingered, 
Here, here these angels are desperately trying to warn him, trying to help him to get out, trying to, to, to do everything possible to save Lot. And Lot lingers. Lot stays. Lot, Lot doesn't want to leave. Lot likes Sodom. Lot likes the fact that the weather is nice in Sodom. Lot likes the fact that he lives in a city where it's easy to walk down the street to the grocery market and to get his his produce. Lot likes the fact that he can make a lot of money in Sodom. Lot has a nice home in Sodom. Lot has his family in Sodom. Lot likes Sodom. And he lingers, thinking about what he'll have to leave behind in order to follow what God is calling him to. And this story is both incredibly beautiful and incredibly horrific. It's incredibly beautiful because you see the grace of God. He comes to Lot and he offers him and he says, Hey, bring everybody possible out with you. Come out of the city as fast as you can. He try, they try to warn him and everybody possible to get out. But it's horrific because the one guy who is going to be rescued with his family, is lingering and wanting to stay. And the fact is that only three people will make it out of Sodom and full, and survive this whole story. Three people out of an entire city. God's grace is huge. And yet when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, are there many who will be saved? Jesus says there are few who will find the way. Jesus has done everything. And yet, we so often cling to everything else. We cling to to stuff that's going to burn in the end. And Jesus says, this is the way. This is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just come to me and you will have life. And yet, so many walk away. But this story is so beautiful because watch what happens. And while he lingered, while he's dwelling on the stuff of this world, and this morning if you're thinking, well, man, I kind of like to hang on to stuff. I kind of have this, this, this draw towards a lot of stuff, and I have this draw towards things that I know don't enhance my relationship with Jesus. This morning you serve a God who is in the business of saving. Watch what happens. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, and the hands of his wife and the hands of his two daughters. They, they grab a hold of him. They're not going to let him linger any longer. They refuse to let him stay in Sodom. They're going to rescue him against his will almost. The hands of his two daughters. The Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Friends, you have a God who will do whatever it takes to rescue you. Even if it takes grabbing you by the hand and dragging you out of places that you know you have no business being. You have a God who's going to come close to you. He's going to do whatever it takes, whatever possible to save you because he is in love with you. And he wants you to have life and not to experience destruction. But here's the deal. Abraham's promise is a promise that hasn't been fulfilled yet. This planet has not been given to God's people yet. In order for that ever to take place, this planet has to be recreated. And in order for this planet to be recreated, the stuff that's here has to be consumed. And God's going to give us a new planet, a new heavens, and a new earth. But in order for that to happen, this planet's got to go. The question is, are we going to be hanging on to this planet? Are we going to be hanging on to Jesus? It's Jesus becoming everything to us as we sit at his feet, as we take time with him day by day, as we get to know him as our best friend. They take him, they bring him outside of the city. Now, now notice what happens. They've drug he, his wife, and his daughters outside of the city. They set him outside of the city. And then it says this, verse 17. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Now notice it says that he said. It's not talking about the two angels anymore because the Lord has now appeared again and he has joined the three outside with Lot and his daughters and his wife. And now God himself is there. That he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Here's the path 
here's the plan. Go to the mountains. I have your good in mind. I want to save your life. Lot's response. Then Lot said to them, please, no, my lords. And then he directs directly to God because it goes into the singular. It says this, indeed now, and this is this is the contrasting prayer that we look at this morning. We saw Abraham's prayer, a selfless prayer, a prayer for everybody to be saved. And now we see Lot's prayer. Indeed now, your servant has found favor in your sight. Thank you for your goodness to me and getting me out of the city. And you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. This is amazing. You've saved my life. Thank you for the salvation that you've given me. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. It's going to be too difficult. What you have asked me to do, I just, I can't do that, God. Your plan is not a good plan. How often are those the prayers that I'm praying? God, I know you've called me to this faithfulness and following you, but this is too difficult and I want this. And so this is the easier path. This is the way that I'd prefer. Lot's prayer is a prayer that's selfish because he's looking at what God is saying and he's not trusting that God really has his best in mind. He doesn't have the same belief that Abraham has that the judge of all the earth will do what is right. There's something wrong with God's plan. Verse 20 continues, See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul will live. Just, just let me go to this little tiny city over here. I can't go and live in the mountains. I'm used to living in a city. It's too difficult. It's too far. It's too hard. God, just let me go here. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask... And do not receive because you ask with wrong motives in order to spend it on your own pleasures. There's two types of prayers we see. We see this prayer of Abraham that say, God, save even my enemies in Sodom. Even these people who are living a life different than I think is right. Please save them. And then we see the, the prayer of Lot. Ah, could you save me? And could you make my life easier? Could you... God, this is difficult in my life. Could you make this easier? Could And I wonder what the majority of my prayers, our prayers, tend to be about. Do they tend to be about saving other people, about making other lives better? Or does it tend to be, Lord, I'm not feeling the best today. Can you take care of this? And Lord, my car. And Lord, and by the time I get done with all of my needs, I don't have time to pray for anybody else. I'm just here to confess that too often my prayers are like Lot instead of like Abraham. And this morning I just want Jesus to give me his spirit. That my desire is to pray for those who are in need. To pray for those who are lost. To pray for those who need to be rescued from the coming destruction. Verse 21, and he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. We serve a good God. He answers even selfish prayers, but we'll later, you can later read in the story that Lot ends up running to the mountains anyway, and Zor ends up getting destroyed. That's what the city is called. Hurry, escape, God says there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Now notice, Lot said, I cannot flee to the mountains. I can't follow what you're saying. And God answers by saying, well, I can't destroy I, I my grace is limiting me from doing anything but saving your life because of my mercy and my grace i can't do anything else until you arrive there verse 22 therefore the name of the city was called zoar which is basically little it's just a little city verse 23 the sun had risen upon the earth when lot entered zoar and i want you to just imagine what that morning was like it was another beautiful morning in this semi-tropical landscape. It was another day where Lot's son-in-laws woke up and their family woke up and they're laughing. Man, can you believe what Lot was talking about in the middle of the night last night? Can you believe that he wanted us to escape? This is craziness. And everybody's going about their business. They're looking at it as another day of life in which to live 
however they want to live. Nothing seems wrong. The sun is rising. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. I want you to notice something here. That took two verses to dwell on the destruction that takes place. And we just read for, I think it's about ten verses about the rescue of Lot and this focus on God coming close. And then we read about Abraham interceding for Sodom. And, and the point is not about the destruction. The point is that we serve a God who comes close and who wants to rescue as many as possible. Verse 26, another important verse, but his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And Patriarchs and Prophets points out, and I think this is a very good point, that if it weren't for Lot's hesitancy, if it weren't for the fact that Lot was lingering and thinking, man, okay, I kind of want to stay here, his wife wouldn't have had the same attitude as she's trying to escape. She wouldn't have been looking back and wanting to grasp a hold of the stuff behind her, looking back to the stuff that she left behind. But because Lot had that hesitant attitude, his own wife looked back and was a partaker, and we'll see why in just a second, in the destruction of Sodom. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He goes back to that place that that overlooked where Sodom was. And he had been there pleading with the Lord in that very spot. He'd been praying this prayer. And as he's there, he sees something that seems to indicate that his prayers have not been answered. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw and behold the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And can you imagine in Abraham's heart, he's thinking, no, there had to have been at least 10 people. I know that Lot was there. I know that they saw how I treated them after I rescued them. I, I know that Lot has been trying to, there's got to have, why didn't God follow through? Maybe some of those questions might have come up in Abraham's mind. Maybe he felt like his prayers had not been answered. Do you think it would have been fair for Abraham to feel that way? Looking out and he sees the destruction he sees the smoke rising he might have been tempted to feel that way but look at verse 29 and it came to pass when god destroyed the cities of the plain that god what does it say remembered abraham and sent lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which lot had dwelt do you see why god had mercy on lot when lot is lingering lot doesn't have a heart to leave god sends two messengers who go and they grab a hold of lot they grab a hold of his daughters they grab a hold of his wife and they pull them out of the city and why do they do that because abraham god remembered abraham god remembered the diplomacy of abraham as abraham had said god You've got to save as many as possible. This is who you are. You're a righteous judge, and I know this is what you're all about. If there's ten, won't you save them? And God says, I'll do even better than that. Because of your heart, Abraham, I'll save the only three that I can drag out of that city. I'm going to save everybody possible. His prayers were answered above and beyond what he could have asked above and beyond what he even thought luke 17 verse 28 jesus talking about this is likewise as it was also in the days of lot they ate they drank they bought they sold they planted they built it was a normal day the sun rose and they went about their business it was just like a regular day but on that day that lot went out of sodom it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. This is really serious for us to ponder this morning. And it's also something that can be filled with so much hope. As we look at this and we realize that God is doing the same exact thing today. God is coming close to as many people as possible today. And He wants to use you and I, like Abraham, to be interceding for people, praying for people, being a part of His diplomacy, saying, no, that person is not a part of that final destruction. I am praying for them to be rescued out of the fire. 
Then it goes on to say, remember Lot's wife, the one who looked back. And then it says this, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will preserve it. It's not about trying to get ourselves out of the fire, but it's about trying to rescue as many other people as possible, to direct as many other people as possible into a loving relationship with Jesus. And friends, we can be thankful for the judgment because the judgment is based on what Peter writes about in his second letter, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, talking about God's promise to give us a new heavens and a new earth. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, his long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. Do you get that this morning? How many is he willing that they should perish? None. The will of God is that you should be saved. The will of God is that everyone out there should be saved. Every person that you've seen and the people that you say, man, if God, God's going to have to apologize for Sodom pretty soon if he doesn't destroy that person. The reason Time goes on is that God is not willing that even that person be lost. He wants to save as many as possible. He's not willing that any should be perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all should turn away towards Jesus. I love what it says in John chapter 12 and verse 32. It says this, Jesus talking, he says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. So how is it that God is going to do everything possible to save as many as possible? Well, he says, Jesus says, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all to myself. In verse 33, he says, this he said, signifying by what death he would die. So he says, when I go to the cross, when I am lifted up, when I become sin for those people and offer them my righteousness, I offer them my life, When I choose to lay down my life telling them that I love them more than my own existence, that's going to have an incredible drawing effect. Notice it says he will draw how many people? All peoples to myself. So I was reading through John chapter 12 just a week ago. And as I was reading through it, I I wondered what this word draw really, what is it? What does it look like? So here's a little tip for you. If you want to know about a word in the Bible, just go to your concordance or go online and look for an online Bible concordance and, and search for a word using the, the, the Greek strongs, if you're in the New Testament or the Hebrew strongs number, and you look up that word and see the other times that it's used. And sometimes it'll be like 200 times, 800 times, a thousand times, and you're going to be really busy following that word throughout the Bible. And it'll list all the verses that it's used in. Well, this word draw is only used in eight different verses. I thought, okay, this is going to be an easy study. We'll look through these eight verses. What does it really mean that God is going to draw all to himself? Does this just mean he's like tapping on our shoulder and saying, please, pretty please, would you come with me? I'm I'm hoping that you'll come. And he's drawing people by the cross. What does this really look like? So I looked up these verses. Several of them had to do with fishing. And when the disciples kept too many fish and they had to drag the net into the shore that's the word for draw i thought that's really powerful but it's kind of a different context this isn't really talking about fishing but then there's these other verses the other times that it's used acts chapter 16 and verse 19 but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone they seized paul and silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities does that sound pretty intense? They drag them. I mean, they're, you imagine that they're having to just drag them through the streets. It's not something that they're willfully doing, almost. Acts chapter 21 and verse 30 is used again. And all the city was disturbed and the people ran together, seized Paul, and they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. So here this word in Greek for draw that's used for when Jesus is lifted up. Here we see it used in Acts two different times for somebody taking a human being and dragging them through the streets in order to get them to where they want them to be and that person may not want to be there. Do you get it? He says, if I am lifted up, if people recognize my love, it will have such a forceful impact on their hearts. This is one other time that it's used. It will have such a forceful impact on their hearts that I am going to grab a hold of their hand just like I did 
with Lot in Sodom, and I'm going to drag them to safety. James chapter 2, verse 6 again says, Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Same word is used. I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Friends, it's good news. You have a God who's not willing that you or anybody else should be lost. And you have a God who's going to come and he's going to grab you by the hand. And he's going to drag you to the city. The only thing you can do is to push him away. To fight his drawing in your life. He's drawing everyone here this morning. And I don't know if you have felt it. If you haven't felt it, I just want to encourage you to grab a hold of his hand this morning. To hang on to Jesus, to let him take you all the way to the city. The Mount of Blessings, page 119 says this, live in contact with the living Christ. Spend time with him. Take time in the Bible. Like, like Abraham built the altars day by day, go and take time in the morning, in the evening. Spend time reading about Jesus, talking to Jesus, talking to others about Jesus. Live in contact with the living Christ and he will hold you firmly by a hand that will never let go. That's good news. Now know and believe the love that God has to us and you are secure. That love is a fortress impregnable to all the delusions and assaults of Satan. Friends, what you need to know this morning is you have a God who loves you more than his own existence, who was lifted up on a cross, who as he was being lifted up, prayed for you, said, Father, forgive them. They don't recognize what they're doing. Because he's not willing that any should be lost. And that any includes you and it includes all the people that you've ever seen and every person that's ever lived on this planet. I want to introduce you to one more person. This is Johan. Johan was passionate about saving lives as well. Johan lived in Amsterdam. And living in Amsterdam... He began to see the Jews deported to the death camps like Auschwitz and otherwise. And as he began to see this happening, he realized that he was in a place where he could begin to fight back against what the Nazis were doing. And suddenly something began to happen at the the school that he was running. Odd packages were being handed across the hedges into the backyard of his school And then from the front of his school, workers would come out with burlap sacks or with baskets and they would put them on their bicycles and they would bike out of town and they would go out into the country with these sacks and with these baskets. Package after package went. In fact, about 600 of them went. You see, across the street was a theater that had been turned into a deportation point for the Jews. And what happened was when a family was brought to this theater... The children were immediately taken away from their parents. And these children were then sent across the street to the nursery where they would be taken care of until they later could be sent to their own camp. And while they were there in the nursery, the workers at the nursery would, one by one, pass as many children as possible over the fence. They passed them over the fence, and once they got into Johan's school, then Johan had his workers who would put them in sacks, who would put them in baskets, put them on their bicycles, and take them out of town to whoever would take them and, and, and harbor these Jewish children outside of the city. Johan did this for as long as he possibly could, and they estimate that he saved at least 600 lives. He even had somebody at at the theater, who would erase the names of the children from off the list so that they just disappeared from the Nazis' list. And at the end, after having saved 600 lives, you would think that he would just be really excited and happy about what he had done, but but this was the thought on his mind. He says this, Johann recounting that experience. He says, you know for a fact that the children you leave behind are going to die. You know for a fact that, that if, if any of them are left behind, that, that this will be the end for them. I took 12 with me. And later on I asked, why not 13? Friends, one day this is all going to be over. One day Jesus is coming back. And on that day, I don't want to ask myself, 
Why didn't I pray for one more person? Why didn't I tell my neighbor that, that Jesus was the Savior who would, would pull them the whole way, that, that He was that good, that the plan of salvation wasn't about what they did, but who they could come to know? Why didn't I tell more people? Why didn't I pray for more people? My prayer this morning is number one, that Jesus will be lifted up through our lives, to such an extent that people will be drawn to Jesus. They'll be dragged there, just like Lot being dragged out of the city of Sodom. But my second prayer this morning is that we will be given a spirit of prayer. That we too will intercede like Abraham, and I'll stop praying my selfish prayers about what I need and start praying for those who need to be rescued. Today, I don't want any of you to walk out of here without knowing that you have the invitation, full and free, that Jesus is calling you to full and free salvation. And today I want you to know that he wants you to tell the entire world that incredible message. And he wants you to pray for everybody possible because God remembered Abraham's prayers and he grabbed a hold of Lot and he drug him out and there's some sort of power in prayer that I just don't fully understand but I know that it makes a difference when you pray for your loved ones. Would you just bow your heads with me? And as you do, first of all, I just want you to have a a quiet moment with Jesus just to say, Jesus, I need your salvation this morning. I want to live in contact with you and to hold on to my hand and to never let it go. Just give him permission to save you this morning. And then second, would you just ask him to give you a heart for the law? A heart to pray for those who don't know the loving Savior that he is. A heart to share him with those who don't know about him. Ask him to give you his spirit, to give you his heart. God, we just thank you for the God that you are. And God, I pray that you place specific names on our mind, people to pray for, people to share with, people to reach out to. And I pray that we would walk out of here knowing that you're holding our hand, knowing the love that you have for us, and that that this would be the foundation, the ground for every prayer that we pray. It would be based on the faithful love that we know that you have. Thank you, God, that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Lord, we choose you today, and we choose to share you, and we choose to pray for others. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.